Hey, Bible readers, I'm Tara Lee Cobble, and I'm your host for the Bible Recap. The adventures of Samson continue today as we read about the man who isn't allowed to touch dead people, but who is appointed by God to kill people. What an interesting juxtaposition. He starts off our reading today by visiting a prostitute in Gaza, which is a Philistine city. So this is a wicked decision for a lot of reasons, but that hasn't stopped him before. The men of the town find out he's there and mount an attack against him. They plan to ambush him when he leaves in the morning, but he leaves in the middle of the night instead and takes part of the city gate with him on his way out. I picture the men of Gaza crouched outside the city gates waiting for him to leave, then seeing him do that and having a sudden change of heart about their ambush. Next, Samson meets another Philistine woman, Delilah, and word gets out that he is into her. There's nothing in the text to indicate that she loves him back. She's just a hired covert agent. The five lords of the Philistines offer her 1,100 pieces of silver each to find out the secret of his strength. First of all, that's 5,500 pieces of silver. Scripture doesn't give us the weight of each piece, but if each piece weighed a shekel, this would be about $35,000 in today's money. Second of all, the fact that they want to know the secret of his strength might suggest that he wasn't super muscular. Otherwise, they'd know it was because of the muscles. The fact that they're all like, how is he this strong? Suggests that he probably wasn't built like Thor. That way, his feats of strength could really serve to glorify God, not his own body. Just a theory, but I thought it was worth mentioning. We learn a lot of other interesting things about Samson in this story, too. First of all, he must be a deep sleeper. Second, he has dreadlocks, seven to be exact. Third, he's either blinded by his lust for this seductress, or he's arrogant and assumes he can never be overpowered, or possibly both. And fourth, he does not learn from his mistakes. He's at discernment level zero. She tries three times to find out where his strength comes from, and it's hard to tell if he doesn't trust her or if he's just being secretive like he always is, but he lies about it repeatedly. There's one thing that's interesting here that's only evident in the original text. When Samson finally gives Delilah the real answer about his strength after her first three failed attempts to get it out of him, he explains that he's under a vow to God, but he refers to God by his generic name, Elohim, not his personal name, Yahweh. This gives us an idea of the way he views God. It's the difference between knowing God and knowing about God. Maybe it's just me, but everything seems kind of like a joke to Samson. I love a joke as much as the next person, but he doesn't seem to take God's call on his life seriously. He's invested in the killing part, but not much else. And it's doubtful he'll ever get serious unless he's humbled, which is what happens next. Samson's disobedience leaves him vulnerable. Delilah gets her money, has a man shave his head, and the Spirit of the Lord leaves Samson. We've talked about this before, but it bears repeating. In the Old Testament, that was possible. God the Spirit didn't indwell people yet. With the exception of John the Baptist, that doesn't seem to happen until the book of Acts in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, God's Spirit traveled around a lot and is described as being over or on people, but not in them. This post-resurrection life we're living is far superior. We don't have to worry about His Spirit leaving us. Okay, back to the story. The Philistines overtake Samson, obviously, and this whole incident strips him of everything we've ever identified him with. Everything he knows about himself is gone. His dreadlocks are gone, his strength is gone, his vision is gone, and the spirit is gone. This must have been a horrific identity crisis for him. Not only that, but the Philistines' punishments on him are oddly fitting. 
because they correspond to his two major areas of sin. They gouge out his eyes, which have been a major weakness for him, and they force him to do a woman's work, grinding at the mill, which has to be an affront to his pride as well. Without God, he doesn't even have the strength to do a regular man's work. But as his hair goes back, so does his strength. One day they bring him out at one of their pagan festivals where they sacrifice who knows what, and he's supposed to entertain them. Sometimes this kind of thing involved taunting or beating the prisoner, but all we know is that it probably didn't involve feats of strength, because as far as they know, he's weak now. Regardless, what we do know is that Samson cries out to God, and this time he calls him Yahweh, and he asks for strength. This indicates that he may have been repentant after he'd hit rock bottom. He calls God by his personal name, and he recognizes God as the source of his strength. Then Samson pushes over two of the load-bearing pillars of the temple, and the whole thing comes crashing down and kills everyone, including him. As we move on to chapter 17, we transition out of the personal accounts of the judges into some stories that just show us the sheer level of anarchy that's happening throughout Israel at this point. We start with a man named Micah, who is an Ephraimite. He steals some stuff from his mom, then confesses, and she decides to build an idol to Yahweh in response. See anything wrong so far? This is the first of many instances where the people demonstrate both a lack of awareness of God's laws and a total disregard for the ones they do know. Because as 17.6 says, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Without leadership, people self-govern, but it's usually too subjective to be righteous or good. For instance, Micah sets up a little temple in his house and ordains his son, an Ephraimite, not a Levite, as a priest. It seems that Micah has actually set up his own little secondary holy site here, which is not just unauthorized by God, but is actually wicked and defiant. Later, Micah meets a man named Jonathan, who is a Levite appointed to live among the tribe of Judah. Micah realizes that this is his chance to have an actual Levite priest, not a pretend Levite priest like his son. In 1713, we see that Micah is trying to use God for selfish gain. He says, Now I know that the Lord will prosper me because I have a Levite as a priest. Micah also made his own ephod, which we already know is a violation of God's command. An ephod contains the urim and thummim, which are used to discern God's will. So having his own replicas suggests that he's trying to go after things that aren't appointed to him. Stay in your lane, Micah. We could say it's a good thing that he wants to know God's will. I mean, don't we all? but he's going about it in ways that are dishonoring to God, kind of like King Saul when he visited the medium. This makes it clear that Micah is more interested in getting answers and being powerful than in drawing near to God. In chapter 18, we zoom in on the tribe of Dan, who never really managed to drive the Canaanites out of their land, so they're moving north to try to find a new home. They run into Jonathan, Micah's priest, and ask him if it's okay for them to abandon the land God allotted to them. He gives them hopeful but wicked counsel. Yes, they'll succeed, but God never authorized that. So they continue on in their wicked hopefulness. Then they go a hundred miles northeast to a city called Lesh on the edge of Israel and kill a bunch of unsuspecting people in a land not allotted to them. Then they come back and offer Jonathan a promotion. They want him to be the priest of their whole tribe in the city they've just conquered. What started with just two men sinning, Micah and Jonathan, quickly morphs into an entire tribe sinning. And by the way, this story about Dan is important later, so make a mental note of it. Where did you see God's character revealed today? What was your God shot? Mine was in the way God met a blind, rebellious prisoner in his hour of need. The fact that Samson never called God by his name until the end is so sad to me. All that wasted time. 
He had God's gifting, but not God's intimacy. But in the end, after everything else had been taken away from him, he recalled the truth he'd known all along, but never walked in. And God didn't say, nope, you've screwed up too many times. God showed up with a yes to Samson's prayer and used his tragic story as one of the steps to setting his people free from oppression. He wants intimacy with us. Even in prisons and on deathbeds, he's always ready to come closer. And that's good news for us, whether we're in dire straits or in a place of abundance, because he's where the joy is. We've gotten emails from several of you who tell us you want to help financially support the Bible Recap. Thank you. But that you aren't interested in getting the perks that come along with setting up a Patreon account. No worries. We've got you covered. If you click the contact link on our website, thebiblerecap.com, it'll walk you through the process of how to do that. We've also put a direct link in the show notes. And thank you, not only for me and all of our team, but also on behalf of every single person who listens each day. Your support is what helps us keep this podcast coming to you on a daily basis. Thebiblerecap.com forward slash contact. Today's podcast is brought to you by WayFM. They understand life can feel overwhelming and lonely sometimes. So to help you feel known, loved, and prayed for, they've created a space where you can receive prayer and pray for others. They call it the prayer wall. Check it out at wayfm.com forward slash pray or click the link in the show notes.